0: Your by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Why, hello, welcome to the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter
1: Musset. And my name is Scott Powell, and we are happy you joined us today.
0: Absolutely. Um, Scott and I are not actually in the same place. We are social distancing from each other.
1: (laughs) We, We are faithfully and diligently social distancing
0: well because scott you have uh you have a, a couple of kids uh three of them in fact three, i'm in fact, godfather yeah. to to one and uh and you have a wife and a family and Me a too. car <laughs> yes.
1: and uh um, two, two <laughs> and of them in fact
0: two of them in fact and and uh i am i have a, a parochial vicar
1: yes you do one of and, them uh,
0: in fact. i have one, uh, one of them though i do have two cars so ah, um, that's
1: true yeah, and a so, motorcycle uh,
0: and a motorcycle this is l- lord have mercy but um i'm a, i'm really excited that we get a chance to talk to all of you today who uh, are probably more voracious for this podcast than we've experienced in a long time because a lot of you don't have mass at all so you guys are looking for some long form sunday love
1: yeah here's the thing i was thinking about yesterday so I'm, I'm doing a little online retreat for our people at st thomas on our facebook site but as i was doing it yesterday and I don't Father Peter, I don't know your experience. I'm assuming everybody else is having the same experience I am. So I mean I I, I thought of doing this because I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's gonna have anything. Everyone's, you know, isolated and we should do all this online stuff. And I am for one being completely inundated with online stuff. Between different liturgies. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, my Facebook feed is filled with every virtual thing on earth from museums to operas to libraries to kids, things for my kids, to online masses and liturgies and rosaries and retreats. And so, I guess um, I hope that we are something. I don't want us to be gimmicky in this time. I want us to just, we're just doing what we do. We're staying faithful. We're doing the job that we've always done. We're trying to tweak it into, um, you know, some new ways of doing it. But the podcast is the podcast. But again, the, the podcast, hopefully it's still fitting into um, a niche that is not kind of getting inundated because, again, this niche wasn't inundated before the pandemic. So... I don't know, but I guess all that being said, you have a lot of options, you guys, of things you can be doing online right now, and I'm sure there's tons of podcasts and Netflix you can be doing. So thank you for coming back to the podcast, because we're still here. We ain't going anywhere, and we're really grateful to have you join us.
0: Yeah, and, and when we say we're not going anywhere, we actually literally mean we're not going <laughs> nope. anywhere. Nope,
1: we're stuck in the house.
0: Dude, dude I have to say, okay, okay. there's this there's this small part of my heart that was oh. like going like, okay, We are now going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be at home. We're going to have this nice kind of chill family time. We're going to have an opportunity to kind of do the things that we didn't normally do. But I I don't know if, if this is your case, but I feel exceedingly busy.
1: Oh my gosh! I don't think I've—I was telling you before the podcast—I don't think feel like I've ever been as busy as I have in the last like three days. <laughs> Between trying to virtualize all my classes and everything else I'm doing, plus the kids, plus trying to homeschool them now, and Annie's got her job, and we're all trying to—everything's ah, crazy.
0: Yeah, man. So so much. So stuff. we're yeah. So it's it's nice to that you that you guys are including us in your also busy lives. I, yeah. I read I read something somewhere, and it just said, you know what? Um, what a like corona means crown so what are we crowning in our life what mm-hmm. are the things that um that are actually in the way cuz there's there's like the god has a will for this in our yeah, lives and yeah. and i think it's really actually important that we pay attention to what that will is for us and to take that seriously and to engage how god wants us to engage and i'm yes. i'm actually really thankful that, that that's the that's the invitation right now
1: yeah, you know, there's two things, speaking of inundated on social media, there were two things that actually stuck out to me today. Um, the first one was, was something um, our, our mutual friend Tom Smith put on online, and it, it's just a link to um, Bishop Barron's latest video, and I love Bishop Barron, I love all of his stuff. But he's reflecting on this quote from Blaise Pascal, and listen to this, this is great, Father Peter. Pascal said, years and years ago, said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <laughs> Which, Well, th-
0: I guess God's trying to solve all of humanity's problems then.
1: Yeah, and that guy combined with something I saw just on, on some friend's Instagram feed that was like, this is not... This is not the time that you have to write the next great American novel, or this isn't the moment that you have to get into the best shape of your life, or start that new podcast, or like write that novel. Do you know? There's at least I have this temptation of like, okay, I'm I'm here at home, I have this time, I have to be doing all. Now is my opportunity to do all of this amazing stuff, and you know and. Which is kind of the opposite, I think, of what God actually wants me to be doing with this time, which is just just take a breath, man. Just take it easy. Be with your family. Be with your kids. Do the things that need to be done, obviously. But you right. know what I mean? I don't know if that resonates with you, but that I saw that and I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel. Like, okay, I have this uh, opportunity. I have to do everything. This is when I have to, I don't know. There's all these things I feel like, okay, now I do this stuff. These 10 things that I've been waiting to do.
0: Yeah, you saw it even in our staff meeting the other day where it was like, okay, Father, it's now time for you to be online doing stuff every single day, like going more hard than you've ever done in your whole life. And I was like, yeah, I oh. I can't do that. Okay. I actually am going to I'm going to light a fire and I'm going to sit and I'm going to stare at the fire. I'm oh. going to you know what I'm doing? I'm going to go I'm going go to go Marie Kondo and do the magical art of tidying up, dude. I, I cannot it. tell you, man. I've been like inaugurating others in the principles of Spark Joy, man. It's fun. It's yeah. like
1: come on, let's actually s- simplify, not amplify. Simplify, not amplify. That's really good. That actually mm, you may, you may be hitting on one of the themes of the readings this week.
0: Well, speaking Let's of see.
1: those, why don't we jump in? Our first reading today is from First Samuel. Let me just uh, say it, s- it's the first, uh, fourth Sunday of Lent,
0: just for practice's sake. Oh, yeah, sake. And, we're, and we're podcasting on the Feast of St. Joseph.
1: Indeedly-doodly. Indeedly-doodly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've never done that before. That's, I don't know who Ned, you are anymore. It's my
1: Ned Flanders.
0: Well, dude, Ned, it's good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, man um first samuel chapter 16 1b jumping to 6 through 7 jumping to 10 through 13a (laughs) piecemeal
1: our responsorial psalm is psalm 23 famous psalm 23 the lord if 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 you don't know any psalms chances are you know this one (laughs) psalm 23
0: i'll often ask people i'll be like do you have a favorite psalm and and like they'll go psalm 23 i mean i'm like do you know any yeah yeah, exactly it's cool
1: it's also one of the shortest psalms in this altar which is interesting well, so, Dude, that's
0: why I like the Gospel of Mark, man. It's mm, the shortest one.
1: Indeed. So Psalm 23, 1 to 3A, and then 3B to 4, and then 5 and 6. And the response itself is from 1.
0: <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> Our, it is. Our second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 to 14.
1: Eight through 14. Otherwise, that's I mean, backwards.
0: <laughs> it's verses 18 to 14. It's actually the secret <laughs> passageway into Ephesians. You didn't know this. But but yes. if you actually like turn around once um, in, oh, uh, in verse 18, you could go backwards and there's special verses. Oh,
1: jeez. It's it's Hebrew. Hebrew is read backwards. So that's just, <laughs> you're thinking Hebraically. Our that's gospel happens. Our gospel is very long because we're getting close to <laughs> close to Easter. It is John chapter nine verses one through forty-one.
0: My goodness, dude! My goodness, that's that's it's the goods. Yeah. Well, right. um, okay. So let's let uh, you know the, the first reading, First Samuel, okay. the the the, I, the choosing of I, Sam, uh, uh, of um of uh, David. Of, um, David. This <laughs> I is, kept on wanting to say Samuel, and I'm like,
1: it's not the choosing of Samuel. No, he's already there. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I always wondered if this is where the story of Cinderella comes from. Because it's totally oh. Cinderella, right? So so what's happening well, in is... In this
0: case, it's Cinderfella, but that's...
1: Cinderfella. The, I see what you did there. Uh, it's just a joke. So you got, you got um, Samuel, who we were introduced to at the beginning of 1 Samuel, who becomes... He's sort of... Um, he's actually... He's this fascinating figure in the Old Testament because he's a bridge character that basically is the link. He is the bridge between the time of the judges. So after Israel came out of Egypt and came into the promised land and God began to establish them as a people, they were ruled by what were called judges, which are not simply a a litigious thing. They didn't just adjudicate legal cases. They were a group of people. They weren't quite kings. They weren't quite prophets. They had prophetic qualities. But God chose these people to sort of oversee and guide the people during this time in preparation for the time of the kings. So kind of in between Moses and the kings. And Samuel is technically the last of the Old Testament judges. And as the last of these kind of um, leaders, he then ushers in the era of the kings. And so he chooses, despite actually what he wants, he doesn't want to choose kings. He doesn't actually want Israel to have a king because he knows that he's like, I've seen how other kings and other nations treat their people, and it's terrible. And what you're asking for, Israel, is not going to do you well, because you want a king like the other nations have. God wants you to be led by his kingship. And so um, Samuel hems and haws, and the people demand a king, and so he eventually um, uh, chooses Saul, this guy who looks very much like a king. He's tall, he's a mighty warrior, he's good-looking, he's articulate. He just—he fits the bill of king. And everyone's like, well, it must be that guy. And so Saul is anointed king, and Saul is just horrible. And he goes off the rails, he becomes paranoid, he becomes power-hungry and greedy, and he's just a horrible king. And so at one point, God comes to Samuel and says, all right, Samuel... Stop. He actually says right before this, we don't get it in this passage, but right before this, it says, how long are you going to whine about Saul? Basically, <laughs> how, how, <laughs> how long w- will you mourn over Saul? He's like, it's cool. It happened. Now it's time to move on. And I'm going to have you go and anoint the next king of Israel. And so he's told to go to the city called bethlehem to this guy called jesse bethlehem by the way beth means uh bread and lachem, oh, i'm sorry beth means house in hebrew and lachem means bread so literally bethlehem is called the bread house which is kind of well, cool
0: yeah and and i think it's actually really important also to point out the fact that um that the prophet samuel has got to like
1: the fact that he has an awful king like it's yeah. got to mess with them Oh, absolutely. And and he because he chose him, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's killing him. And God repeatedly comes to him to try to console him and be like, "It's all right, man. You're you're okay. You the people made you they kind of forced your hand on this. It's all right. I'm going to be merciful to you. You're 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 cool." But yeah, it, it kills him. Um, He's very much in in some ways of a John the Baptist kind of a figure who is another bridge between John the Baptist is technically the last of the Old Testament prophets who bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament preparing the way for Jesus and sort of anointing Jesus as king at the baptism, just like Samuel does. So there's a neat kind of parallel there, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway so he goes to this place uh bethlehem finds this guy named jesse and he's like all right god has told me basically what of your sons is to be the next king and so he lines up all of his sons and 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 samuel i which,
0: mean which always makes me think of um which always makes me think of the sound of music
1: oh the sound <laughs> of music that's good actually yeah, I I,
0: yeah they're, all, they're all just lined up and it's like okay which one
1: which one and nope <laughs> well <laughs> it's funny because He begins to fall into the same trap with Saul, and he looks at all the brothers lined up, and he's like, oh, there's this guy named Eliab. And Eliab is really good-looking and really strong and powerful, and he says, Samuel's like, well, surely this is the king. Why? Because he looks like a king. He looks strong. And God's like, no, did you not learn anything with the whole Saul debacle? And so God's like, no, not him, not him, not him and this is where you get the Cinderella moment he's like is this, is this everybody like <laughs> god said there was going to be a king here where, where, do you not have any other kids and and Jesse's like well i mean there's david of course but you can't surely you can't mean david who's probably around 12 13 years old at this time he's like well david's out with the sheep but he obviously don't mean him he's just a kid and he's he's just our sheep. he's
0: just our redhead
1: yeah and this is where it gets kind of funny there's a great line one of the theme lines of this not just this book, but this whole part of salvation history, where God says to Samuel, um, "It's this famous line. Where is it? Oh, uh, God, not as man, not as man does God see, because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at the externals; God looks at the heart, and that is one of the things that's that's very much carrying me through these readings." in light of everything that's happening in the world right now because it's really easy to look at the externals of the circumstances of all of the chaos that's happening the stock market crashing and people losing their jobs and restaurants closing and schools you know going online everything seems totally chaotic on the outside the externals are 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 bad but only the Lord is actually seeing what's happening in the heart. And maybe what's happening in the heart is what we were talking about, this quieting, this opportunity to reflect. A lot of the major conflicts in the world have actually ceased during this time. The world is not at war at this moment because everyone's terrified of something else. But there, there's something that I, you know, this is, this is the principle that's so important in the Bible. And I wonder if it says something to us in this time. Because then we find David and iron I mean, it seems like it's the exact opposite of what should be happening because David is found. He's the youngest. He's tending the sheep, and when we see him, it says he was a ruddy, he was ruddy, he was youthful and handsome to behold, making a splendid appearance.
0: <laughs> and yeah, you're like, which, yeah, which kid? Actually, you can look at that and see like, well, he's just a good-looking young man. You know which, what I'm saying? Or it's like some people could say he kind of is just kind of effeminate or something. You know, well, he's
1: like, hey, like well, pretty. That's the twist, though, because you read it at face value and you're like, well, wait, didn't God just tell us not to do that? Like, it's it's right. talking about how good looking. But you you got it. So if you actually, it, our English translations, every translation is slightly different. But in the Hebrew, it's not saying, oh, he's really good looking. It's saying, yeah, he's kind of got feminine feature. It says he has beautiful eyes. <laughs> and <laughs> he's, red, he's a redhead. This is a part of the world where people are darker in complexion, which means he's pale. He's pale. He's got feminine, beautiful eyes. He's little he does not this is not meant to strike fear into the hearts of his enemies (laughs) you look at him and you're like oh okay cool right right
0: in a a time when they prize warrior kings like exactly or or, i mean well it's it's bridging between those you know but like it's it's like it's the warrior king is which is the kind of ideal you're gonna be awesome that way
1: and that's what the other nations have again this time does prize those things because they've seen it in other nations Kings who strike fear. This is not a guy who's going to strike fear into anyone. And right. that's that's what the, the text is saying. But it says, at the same time, Samuel anoints him. And it says, and this is kind of the key to everything, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And right after this in the text, which we don't have, it says the spirit of the Lord then leaves Saul. And you almost get the impression in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is kind of a zero-sub game, which we know it's not. But the impression is kind of given like, okay, well, if one guy has the Spirit, that means nobody else does. Saul loses the Spirit, David gets the Spirit, and the Spirit it just kind of is is very uh, specific into where it dwells. In Revelation, especially in the Christian Revelation, we have this notion that, no, the Spirit is actually able to dwell in each and every one of us for the entirety of our lives through baptism. But that was such an unheard of, unprecedented (laughs) idea. There's a small child (laughs) yelling at me in the yeah, background this is, this this is, is real life the, yeah this is real
0: life on the podcast right now man yeah no
1: this is real life um i'm so connected to wires and microphones that i can't actually move <laughs> somebody's <laughs> gone um uh but but the the other thing about that is that what what's being shown here in the old testament is when you see the holy spirit come upon someone it tends to be for a king or someone going into battle, or a prophet, or a priest. Someone called to do something profound. So David gets the Holy Spirit because he's going to be king. and like ut-
0: 12 or 13, which is kind of significant and real.
1: It's significant because who else had um, a gift of the Holy Spirit come upon her at 12 or 13? Oh, Mary. Interesting. And what does she have? She has the next king, who is a great shepherd. It's, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the parallels are actually really striking. God loves to use young people who are considered insignificant at least in these two occasions and i was struck by that uh, parallel there yeah yeah so i don't know so that's what well, I, that's the story well,
0: well what I love is 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 the is this beautiful link well what what was he doing what was he learning he was actually learning how to shepherd and yes. like 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 he as, as a young man and uh, like he's going around in his attentiveness to hold on to what has been given to him like yeah like it's it's the shepherd's heart that's why when we go to the psalm we see okay the Lord is my shepherd actually what does a shepherd do he's he's protecting a flock he's being he's he's being super attentive and how does how does the Lord see? It's a it's a different way the Lord is actually going to see. Well,
1: it's fascinating because there's there's two things. Um, it also speaks to now hang with me for a second here. It okay. speaks to the sacramentality of the Old Testament kingship, because what the now it, it usually failed at this. But in the ideal sense, what the Old Testament kings of Israel were supposed to be was a sacrament of God's kingship that everyone could see. And that's what the definition, small s, sacrament, not one of the seven sacraments, right? But a sacrament is something, it's a a visible sign of an invisible reality. So the idea was God is king. God's king over everything, over every one of all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. But in Israel, there was to be a king who sat on the throne, which was supposed to be an icon of that. People should look to the king and see an icon, an image, a sacrament of whom God is. Which again, Israel fails at this repeatedly. But in God making this movement in choosing the shepherd who understands his craft to be the next leader, it's saying not just something about David and his craft, it says something about God. Because David here is a sacrament in a certain sense. And if David is faithful in these matters, it speaks to the faithful shepherding heart that God actually has. Does that right. make sense? So even his shepherdness is, is sacramental,
0: right? And and I mean you you I I think that I mean talk about a, a psalm for the age and for this particular moment in time. Yeah. Like yeah. the Lord is the Lord is actually our shepherd. Like I think that the the, the temptation you know whenever there's conflict and difficulty you know there there's a will satan has a will for this time but god has a will for this time yeah. god wants us to actually tr- trust that he will provide all that we need yes and to and to actually say like no lord i'm going to put my trust in you and you're going to raise up leaders that are actually going to be trustworthy for us, and yeah. I, I think that I think that in an age of, of social media and of, of of social complaint and and kind of general discord uh, politically, it, it's really hard to believe that we actually will have leaders that will guide us through a situation that is impossible for us on a on yeah. a on a granular level to, to solve, we can be helpful, yeah. but we actually need to, to say like, no, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're my shepherd, that you actually have this in hand and that you're going to give the guidance that, that needs to be given. And yes. like, and that goodness and mercy is going to actually prevail in this day.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that, and that God is actually big enough to make that happen. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was... yeah he's, he's big. I was listening recently to a, a political leader, one of our local political leaders, who I disagree with on almost everything, politically speaking. And I was listening to his statements on just what what's going on in this time, and I was like, it was really, re- it actually almost choked me up. And I was like, this is, what he's saying actually is kind of beautiful, and he's speaking like, you know, as a father and in his personal life and just how he's making it through. And I was like, this guy who I, I totally disagree with, I'm actually kind of moved by the way he's encouraging the people in our state right now. And I was like, that's, you know what I mean? It's God, God can do that. Why wouldn't he do that?
0: Right. Like that's, that's this moment. And so we've, yeah, that's where we just pray and say, Lord, how, how do you want me? The only way we get there is though, is by going to the chief shepherd, the head shepherd, the Lord, who is our shepherd. That's actually, we actually just keep returning to him and say, Lord, how do you want us to participate in this and, and show me what my next step is to be. And then I will be willing to follow you, whatever you would do. And,
1: but take take it a step further though, because, and, and here's the other thing that I've been reflecting on. Um, The sacramental life of the church is really hard. It's, and I'm just going to, this seems like I'm I'm totally taking a different direction, but um, I have been recently, this is very kind of confessional, so I'll just put it out to you guys. I've been recently struggling in a very particular way with just how hard it is to understand the Eucharist, which is veiled by the appearance of bread and wine and all these things and how hard Yet how much I wish God would just show himself to me in a, much, in a more explicit way and just be like, no, this is it. I, I'm not hiding myself anymore. I'm not veiling myself. And it, But that's something we've had access to. So in this time, God has just retreated even further beyond the veil in a way that now I can't even access the sacrament, which was already veiled. And now he's hidden even further. And so now the challenge of trusting in the shepherd and shepherds, were not somebody that was respected in that culture. They were the least of, of, of that society. And so even stretching your mind to be like, no, God is like a shepherd. You're like, really, a shepherd? And then, it, it, which means that God carries with him a hiddenness. And now in right. this time, God has hidden himself even more. So what are we asked to do? We're asked to quiet ourselves, to not see simply with the eyes of our heads, but to see with the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of faith at what is beyond what our eyes can see in this time. This is going back to what God tells Samuel, right? Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So be like God, be like right. God, and try to see beyond the veil that I've, I've that I've given you during this time. And and the acknowledgement that if there is a veil over our eyes in this time, it's because God has allowed there to be a veil over our eyes. It's right. not like God has, has got to come in and do some cleanup work because something's gone wrong. It's that, no, God has allowed all of this. And that's what the psalm is really getting at, right? Right. I think. Which right. I think is a which, good lead which,
0: in. Yeah, for Ephesians, which is talking about how, how like we're in, once in darkness, but now you're in the light of the, uh, light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. Because yeah. it produces light, produces every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. I mean, there really is a theme profoundly of this week of seeing and beholding and light and um, and visibility and like the, it, it, what is invisible will become visible in the light. Um, and so, like, so we say, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light like we 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 need i mean we really do need to see i mean like it, 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 i think that the sacramentality of the church has always been the fact that like we do need to see like yeah like, yeah it's it, it, and it, it even if there is a veil and that that's actually where where like I, I find even like there's our daily mass attendance has gone
1: up <laughs> <laughs> cuz we don't because, have because we don't have to put clothes on. We can just sit in our PJs and our sweats. Dude, I mean, that that's is... that's not why. I'm that, sure that's uh, not why this is... Why. I, that's absurd. You're I'm crazy. Just, but we can't be seen, so it's cool. But,
0: well, it's just funny. It's like to behold. And yeah. like if there has ever been a time in history of our ability to, to actually go and to behold... It actually is now, which is weird. I mean, it's like what we were talking about with uh, online, but uh, but yet even virtualization does not satisfy. We no. want to see, which is which is an icon of this particular age. Like like it's it's an icon of the the whole spiritual journey we're going on. It's like we say, oh, I want to see you, Lord. I want to experience that. And in a certain sense, it's like it's the um, the powerful beauty of how okay, I get to see you virtually right now. But then the truth is, is that I want to hang out with you i want to see you eyeball to eyeball right i want to like i want to hang out and, and drink a margarita and, and talk about the uh, intense things of our lives i yeah. i want to do that with my family i, I like I, I want to hang out with my mom and my dad and my brothers yeah. and sisters and i want to have a dance party and and be in proximity with other people i like like i'd long ben. for that six feet
1: right.
0: apart. six feet six feet leave room for the holy spirit everybody so <laughs> So then but then what what ends up happening is that isn't that the icon of actually our pilgrimage towards our heavenly homeland is that 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 in a certain sense, it's the whole world is unsatisfying. And yes, we're here and it actually can happen. And there's and there's but there's difficulties on our way to what we're actually like meant to be. Our, Our full destiny
1: is actually to behold entirely. Yeah. And this is what you've been saying. I mean, we've we've been. We've allowed ourselves to convince ourselves. We have convinced ourselves that virtual is enough, right? Societally. And this has been the big push. Everything is virtualized. Everything is online. All of our friendships, our relationships, school, all these things are online. And now that we are forced to be only online, like you said, we're all coming to, maybe this is the grace of like, oh, we thought that this was enough. And now that we are face to face with it, we know that it's not, which again, like you said, speaks to the deeper reality of the world is not enough. Um, it's we, what's beyond this, which is, oh, that's what's behind the Ephesians reading. Not to keep putting layers of behindness on it, but I mean, there's what, there's what Ephesians says. And then there's the context, which is Paul writing to this church in Ephesus. But the context of Ephesus is that Ephesus was the home base. It was like headquarters for um, spiritual warfare. This is where the occult lived. This was where spell books and idolatry and all these things, this is where they were produced literally. And so what Paul says throughout the rest of Ephesians is all of these, th- this is where he has the famous statement about um, principalities and powers and rulers and of this present darkness, all of these spiritual realities of the warfare that is going on beyond the, the sight of our eyes. And with that backdrop in mind, then he can come in and say, yeah, brothers and sisters, you were once in darkness, now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of the light, everything you just said. But knowing the context that this is a place that is surrounded by unseen spiritual warfare, and it's actually the, the way that this city makes money, it's their, their main source of commerce is spiritual warfare, occult practices, and all the money that comes from it, that changes, I think, in a really dynamic way what Paul is actually saying to this community. You know what I'm right saying?
0: absolutely absolutely and so now we so then we have to say well then how do we see
1: right which takes us to john eh?
0: yeah which is the man born blind and um which is is okay so there's one line i have to i have to say that, that uh that struck me it was it's very close to the beginning and it's um it's in uh verse four and it says Um, We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I I, I know. And I was like, I was like, oh, no, I don't think it's the apocalypse. But that one's a scary line. Oh, wow. And I'm Um, like, okay, what is I'm like, well, if nobody can work, I'm like, well, right now we can work virtually. So it's not really a danger. So we can work still. I don't uh, know, man.
1: I had a day yesterday where I felt like I couldn't work because I I told you before the podcast, I feel like everybody in my neighborhood is online doing virtual things, trying to upload things. And I couldn't upload any of my classes. I couldn't. I felt so paralyzed working at home because I couldn't do anything. So mm, I don't know. I felt that yesterday. Well, my my wife definitely felt it. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah look we'll what it took you 14 hours to upload something yes 14
1: hours dude that's like the old dial-up days man it felt like that part of it was my three-year-old daughter pushing all the keys on my computer at the same time and canceling it seven hours in but <laughs> put that put that aside <laughs>
0: oh yeah that's that's different i feel i feel particularly lucky that i um uh, like the that uh that there was a deal on fiber internet and i could get it like literally a third from what i was paying for cable and so like all wow. of like literally right before this happened i have the, the craziest internet connection i've ever had in my whole life so i must be I nice feel- it's very nice. <laughs>
1: Sorry, Scott. No, just, kidding. just kidding. But, but yeah. there's so there's a lot going on in this story. And the only I, I just want to point out, as John often does in his gospel, he did this with the woman at the well. We talked about that. But oftentimes people or individuals in John's stories will sort they have their own individuality for sure. There's there's a literalness, but they also sort of represent a bigger community and i think i'm seeing that here not only the well the blind guy in a certain sense what you see is this juxtaposition so there's the setup of the story in the first 12 verses and then you have basically it's a it's a it's a six part story you have i'm sorry five part you have the setup of the story here's what's happening here's this guy who's blind here's what jesus does and then you have an interrogation. You have the Pharisees interrogating the guy. What happened to you? Then you have a second interrogation of the parents now. Well, what happened? They're like, we don't know. Talk to him. He's of age. And then you have a second interrogation of the man. They're like, okay, we need to interrogate you again. We need to come and try to get more more information out of you. And then in the last sort of strophe of this beautiful story, we read that the man believes. And it's funny because the man only seems to believe in Jesus after going through all of these interrogations and kind of a a certain suffering and a darkness, in fact. And he comes out of it with this. It's really not just about his physical sight. Yeah, that's great. He can see. But he comes out not just seeing, but believing. And so there's this, this tie between believing and seeing. That's what Jesus is actually saying. Those who do not see will not see. And interestingly, throughout the whole thing as the Pharisees and the religious leaders are interrogating this guy and his parents, they keep saying things like, well, we see that da-da-da, or we know that this and that. We see, we know. And what they're constantly being revealed as is they don't see and they don't know. The blind man sees far more than those who keep repeatedly saying, we see, we see, we see, we see. And in fact, it's during the interrogation, one of the best things the blind man says is his admission that he doesn't understand. And it's only when we can kind of admit, I don't see that God can step in and say, great, now I can do some work. Now I can fix that. But as long as we refuse to acknowledge that we are blind, our blindness can never be healed. And that's what the Pharisees are sort of representing here, this darkness that a very big part of Israel has allowed themselves to enter into but not just enter into this darkness but refuse to see that they're in the darkness and that they need to be brought into the light which is why Jesus keeps bringing the analogy of light back to this which happens to be taking place during the feast of tabernacles we think which is the time when these massive humongous candelabras of light would be blaring in the temple precincts day and night so literally Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world with the backdrop of massive candelabras lighting a temple that is devoid of the presence of God.
0: Man. OK, so I, I have a, I have an insight into okay. to actually w- why this is also significant, because, okay, of course, you know, here they go and they say, um, was it, the disciples, they ask this. Uh, was it rabbi who sinned this yeah. manner of his parents that he was born blind and he says um, and he says that nobody sinned now what what is this actually referring to because because it's him and or his parents which we go back to the ten Commandments um and uh, you, you know it's uh you know what is it Exodus 20 so Exodus chapter 20 and and is, you s- is that what your translation says Exodus 20
1: no that that no one sinned.
0: Rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus said it was not this man that it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him.
1: which I'm struck by the fact that he doesn't totally deny that there's sin. He doesn't right. deny that there are actually even physical effects of sin. He's just right. like that's not the point,
0: right. And, and so then if you listen to the Ten Commandments, listen to this. It says, okay. um, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any, th- or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above on the earth beneath, or that it is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for the Lord your God is... Uh, I am a jealous God mm. visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of yeah. those who hate me. Yeah. So this, this is actually really interesting because, okay, what is this, the, the, the commandment that says that we're going to have some generational action here, which yeah. is, which is what they're asking, okay, where's this sin is specifically about worshiping of graven likenesses ah. So here is the temple blazing, mm. which is a foretaste of the true temple in heaven. Which is ultimately, we know Jesus. Yeah. Now we we actually yeah. have the temple visible to us. Yeah. And so, so, so then, w- what does he say? He says, um, he says, well, um, who is this? And he says, you're looking at him right yeah. now. And now, <laughs> all of a sudden, I can actually see him bow down. And that actually what, what the accusation of sin to, to worshiping a false likeness is he actually discovers the true likeness, what we're talking about in the Eucharist earlier. Lord, yes. I want to know, I want to see you in a more revealed way. I want to actually peel back the curtain a little bit because what happens is, is that if we, if we get this wrong, then what happens is, is it takes a long time to get a corrective on it. It's yeah, like generational yeah. curses. It's like, it's like no, I, I actually learn what my father gives me. And like, I take that to myself. And for him, he has this radical intervention from God himself who reveals himself to this man who now can see clearly that that it's not the temple with the fires that are blazing, but it's the right. fire that is contained within Jesus who's right in front of him. And now right. that's going to be visited upon generation, upon generation, upon generation, upon generation to learn. Oh. And it's uh, th- th- that he is actually going to teach. Because what is this for? This is for the RCI initiation rituals it's saying you know what you you, like you've you've actually experienced a blindness that now Mm. will be healed in the one who is in front of you wow
1: wow that's really
0: good yeah i just said a lot of things i just was reading that today and i was like oh so this is about a false worship and now we actually get to do true worship
1: wow that's really good
0: that will be repeated for generation upon that, generation upon generation.
1: So it's it's because there's, um, you know, we talk about a downward spiral. So you can talk about sin as a downward spiral, right? The more you sin, the more we're prone to sin and concupiscence, and there's a theological principle. But there's also the theological principle of an upward spiral, Right that grace begets grace, and this guy's right. sight is going to beget more sight. It's it's what you saw in the, the woman at the well, right? Her belief beget more belief among the Samaritans, and this is right. the upward spiral that we're talking about. So yes, generationally, it will take because this will become the church and the faith of the church. And ironically, yeah. not ironically, but 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 significantly, and we're, we're teased with this this week, After John does all of this, he takes you through this beautiful movement and this narrative, this guy and sight and light and darkness and true temples and, you know, all of the things that are going on, which is the setup for Jesus to say what, which we don't get in the readings this week, but it comes in literally the next line, says, I am the good shepherd, which John presumes, okay, if you understand that, then this makes sense. Because eyes didn't see David as king because of his shepherdness, which told us about God as shepherd, which has now made the shepherd incarnate among us, who is also the light. So I don't know. Mm. There's an interesting tie in there for me, not to get too convoluted.
0: Well, yeah, I I mean, it, it ties us back into David and Jesus. It, like, this is all leading to say, I am the true shepherd. I am yeah. the sheepfold. You're going to yes. enter through me. And like, we're seeing what his shepherding looks like, which is... Which is pretty co- like he can get us out of some pretty crazy situations.
1: Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> like no, and I've uh, experienced it too. I didn't just hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, well, um, everybody, I uh, I think that that's a. That let's just go to the sheep gate and worship him truly, and look at him in our hearts and spiritual communion. Communion to, to communion. I don't know commution. what that is. No, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. But to say like, no, Lord, we believe that you're at the center of our beings. We trust in you and we put our faith in you. Show us the way to 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 see you more clearly that we may worship truly in spirit.
1: It also it also demands an acknowledgement, not just of our blindness, but it demands an acknowledgement that we're just sheep. And when sheep feel scared and lonely and kind of out in the cold and don't know which way to go, all they can do is look to the direction of the shepherd. And try to find him and to go because that's where I feel in my life. I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on and I have a lot of fears and a lot of anxiety and I don't know what to do about them. And this is so, so drastically and hugely out of my hands. I mean, I'm not, I, I know I've experienced things that are out of my hands and we all know that. But I mean, the situation that's happening in the world is so far out of my hands I think that's what's bringing a certain paralysis for a lot of us and and this anxiety of like, I don't know what to do. So when you're a lost sheep, what do you do? You look to the shepherd. Even if you can't get to the shepherd, you find him with your eyes. You figure out where he is and you head in that direction. But it does require an acknowledgement that, no, I'm a sheep and I'm kind of lost and I don't totally know where to go. And there's only one who does know where to go. So I'll find him and I'll go that way.
0: Yep so go that way really fast and if anything gets in your way turn
1: <laughs> That's what? a joke that's no. a joke <laughs>
0: that's a joke from uh from a uh, better off dead it was a uh, stupid eighties a stupid yeah. 80s movie so yeah, well, you guys, 80s
1: movie.
0: yeah um i feel like i have a
1: shout out to give do you have any shout outs no not not specifically there's a uh, there's a lot but not nothing specific this week
0: yeah like are we um oh i have a shout out to my aunt and uncle to to um uh donna and jerry musset i just love you and uh i just uh, am so thankful you tune in all the time and especially in this time and uh that's awesome um you guys are wonderful and i'm praying for you and uh you're the best that's awesome all right well, God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to tuning in um, through the uh, the uh, Quarren streaming time. Oh, Quarren
1: streaming. A... I like that.
0: <laughs> Join I... me for da- daily mass. Uh, um, I'm yeah. going to be doing, um, uh, Father Sean and I are going to be doing daily masses at 510 on uh, evenings on Facebook Live. And so awesome. we look forward to praying with you there.
1: Awesome. And we, God willing, we'll be back next week. Absolutely. God bless you, Brian. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org AICT, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.